0: to find out if it's right for you.
1: Do we really know what happened? We're both into like true crime. That's going to be our theme song. It's it'll just be just a know. silent recording of me going Ooh, and It'll be flat and out of tune every time. That's good. This is mystery murdery thingy thingy thingy.
2: now it started.
1: Um, hey.
2: Hey there.
1: Hey, w- um, what's up?
2: Ha, uh-huh. ha, are you saying that to me?
1: Um, I'm saying that t- to you and to we've whoever been, is listening. We've been
2: hanging out for a while, so that doesn't really make sense. And
1: whoever is listening, right. cheers.
2: Wine break, wine break.
1: Wine break, yes, wine break.
2: <laughs> a little bit of a wine break.
1: A little bit of a wine break.
2: Happy Tuesday night.
1: Happy Tuesday night. Well, Wednesday.
2: Now, by the time we...
1: It's Wednesday, my dudes.
2: Yes, in terms of... Should I make
1: that stupid vine my, like, quote? Have you seen that vine?
2: Your quote?
1: Yeah, my, like, catchphrase.
2: Oh. (laughs) It's
1: Wednesday, my dudes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think if there's one thing that we've been good at so far, it's stealing other people's catchphrases. So, (laughs) may as well keep that going. (laughs) <laughs> we like mysteries,
1: murderies,
2: and stealing other people's cash for And stealing other people's
1: cash <laughs> for Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. My name's Chloe.
2: My name's Mario. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm a junior. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: There's two of you. Yeah. And you're the smaller one.
2: By a good amount. By a good amount. I'm smaller than most people.
1: That's so cute.
2: Another little wine break.
1: Are you going to say that every <laughs> time I take a sip of wine? <laughs>
2: hey, don't count people's drinks, bro. Not probes.
1: What? Okay, so are you doing a mystery, a murdery, or a thingy? Let me know.
2: Mine's definitely murdery, mine's, as, a, as I promised last time.
1: Mine's also murdery.
2: Okay. Um.
1: So I'd like to go. You first said yours was kind of short. Because it's it is kind of short and it's sad. Yeah. Um. And it's a big big topic that I think we can discuss further. Okay. So, um, it's February. Happy Black History Month. Right. I am gonna focus on the first. NAACP N-double-A-C worker, NAACP worker, to be murdered for his civil rights work.
2: Okay, he
1: was murdered. Did not get a proper investigation. Did not get an autopsy. Did not get a funeral. Did not get a marked
0: grave. So what? Even was though said. we
1: know who he is, right? This is 1940 was okay. when he was killed. So, you know, this is like a part of our history. Thousands of African Americans throughout history have been just lynched millions have been persecuted wrongly have been abused have been kicked out of their homes for no reason and especially after the emancipation proclamation which i think a lot of people have a a a a skewed view on what the Emancipation Proclamation actually was. It did not directly free all slaves. And it did not say, bam, boom, this is it. Slavery is illegal. That's not what it did. And I think a lot of people... That's what
2: the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments did.
1: Exactly. And I think a lot of people look at the Emancipation Proclamation that way. Right. Even though it did help African Americans gain more freedoms it didn't I guess give us this huge rush of freedom that we wanted or that a lot of people are yeah. saying that it is
2: no no, yeah, definitely and just from a technical standpoint for example like Maryland was a border state that sided with the union that also had slaves mm-hmm. slaves in Maryland remained slaves after the Emancipation Proclamation mm-hmm. did not technically apply to them so mm-hmm. there, there were instances like that But then immediately after the war was ended, the southern states were also allowed to enact black codes, which very explicitly were meant to basically reenact slavery. So, you know, you would be picked up for spitting, right, or for harassment or menacing, just anything, bullshit, for being a black person on the street, right, where you're not supposed to be. And the police would take you to jail, and you would be forced to pay restitution for your crimes in the form of labor for which you were not paid. Yep. For a series of of years, which would probably be extended. It it was just slavery. It was just slavery again. And unfortunately, a version of this exists all the way till today. Mm -hmm. Um, There are prisons, including private prisons, in which people are forced to work for pennies uh, a, an hour, literally. They make products that are sold in stores. And I think a lot of people don't know that or realize that, but I'm not saying it's the same thing as slavery, because I think that's kind of a bit hyperbolic, but it is something akin to it that still exists today, so I, de- I definitely see what you're saying. That the, These kind of stories were down throughout our history.
1: So I'm going to talk about Um, Albert Williams, like I said, the first NAACP worker to be murdered for his civil rights work. So he was born October 15th, 1908 in rural Haywood County, Tennessee. Um, He was the son of farmer Albert Williams and wife Mary Green Williams. In 1929, he married a woman named Annie Mitchell. After trying farming, they moved in in the 19 they moved in the early 1930s to Brownsville, Tennessee where they worked for the Sunshine Laundry. And I think I read that he like tended the fire that kept the the, the like steam going or something that didn't make sense to me cuz it was laundry in the 40s. Okay. I I didn't really understand what <laughs> sure. his job was. It was something to do with fire and steam and drying things. Okay. So uh so as they go through their life, you know, he focuses on civil rights and mainly he focuses on gaining the right for African Americans to vote. So in 1939, they became, him and his wife uh, became some of the first charter members of Brownsville's NAACP branch. On May 6th, 1940, five members of Brownsville's NAACP branch unsuccessfully attempted to register to vote. No African-American had been allowed to register to vote in Haywood County during that time. And after that, the next day was when they began to be being threatened. Threats against Black Americans trying to make a change, this was something that wasn't uh, rare. It was common. Um, And, like, you know, not all police forces were corrupt during this time, but many, 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 many were, (laughs) many uh including the cops in haywood county tennessee in 1940 so uh they didn't have any interest in these threats so early in the morning of june 16th 1940 would-be registrant elijah davis was abducted from his house by a white mob led by brownsville brownsville policeman tip hunter and charles reed he was taken to uh, the nearby Hatchie River swamp, surrounded and threatened with death unless he named members of the NAAC. They wanted names. After naming some, he was forced to immediately leave the county under threat of death should he ever return. So upon hearing of the Davis incident, many of the families that were in the chapter uh, fled, like they got straight out of Haywood County. But the Williamses did not. Their decision to stay, I guess, kind of came back to haunt them, right? So late on June 20th, 1940, uniformed policemen Hunter and Reed, the two who also captured Elijah Davis, um, and a third man, Ed Lee, manager of the local Coca Cola bottling company, took Williams from his home, jailed him, and questioned him about the NAACP meeting he was suspected of planning. Hunter claimed that he released Williams later, but he didn't. Well, actually, that's the mystery. We don't know if he released him or not, uh, because after this, he, Albert Williams, never returned home and he was never again seen alive. Mm. Three days later, his body was found in the river. Annie is the one who had to end up identifying him. There were two bullet holes in his chest and he was uh, bruised and beaten and swollen. So the coroner, Bill Cox, ordered no medical examination. He held his inquest on the riverbank on the riverbank that same morning and the coroner's jury determined that the cause of William's death was unknown. But later, a local grand jury found that his death was caused by, quote, foul violence at the hands of parties unknown. The coroner ordered an immediate burial and he was buried the same day with no funeral in an unmarked grave.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So, basically, he gets... Taken in by the police, there's no warrant for his arrest. There's no probable cause. The only thing they want to know is if he's, if he's the one who will be planning an NAACP meeting right. um, later in the week. And of course, that's why they were trying to get names of those who would be at that meeting. So he get he gets questioned. Apparently, according to the police, he gets released. Except three days later, his body's found in the river. So under pressure from the NAACP National Office, the United States Department of Justice ordered the FBI to investigate and promised a broad inquiry. The NAACP Special Counsel, our main man, Thurgood Marshall, who (laughs) later became U.S. Supreme Court Justice.
2: Right.
1: He's the one who monitored the the investigation and he he even traveled to Brownsville um, to collect evidence. But the Department of Justice ordered the U.S. Attorney in Memphis to present the case to a federal grand jury. But then it mysteriously reversed its decision and and just closed the case. Um, the Department
2: of Justice did.
1: Yes, and it says that they were they were doing so because of insufficient evidence. Mm-hmm. So. Obviously, Thurgood Marshall was livid, and um, since that time, he's been unable to get the case reopened. And to this day, his Albert Williams' murderer has not been prosecuted. Wow. Nobody's been found.
2: It seems like a case that you would reopen later on. Here's I'm, the
1: thing: he uh, and there's there's an author <laughs> named Jim Emerson. Is where his website and a website called blackpass.org, I got a lot of the where I got a lot of the information from Jim Emerson. He's writing a book titled Albert Williams first to die and it has details of the case. And he's also advocating for the Bureau to reopen the investigation. Good
2: mm. luck under Jeff Sessions. He's not
1: going to have to uh, wait for the
2: next attorney general. I would imagine. It,
1: well, it's not, it's not, gonna, it's not going to happen. Yeah. But he did successfully organize a memorial service for him, which was held on the 75th anniversary of his death in 2015 Mm. and was held in Bronswell, Tennessee with a historical marker that honored him. And I mean, it's just to this day, like it hasn't, it hasn't been reopened. Like the case hasn't been reopened, even though they put in this inquiry or whatever. But there's so many questions here, like who... Who dumped his body in the river? Like, why was there no proper medical examination? Why was there an immediate barrel? Why is there an unmarked grave? Why was it dropped so suddenly? Like, there's just a lot of in- missing information that really nobody has, seems to have any incentive to look into in the near future.
2: It seemed like there definitely seems like there was a cover up. Definitely. Um, because, I mean, clearly that the police in that town, you know, were basically a white supremacist mob gang themselves. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that. unfortunately that, you know, can happen. Um, I mean, in L.A. County jails, there are literal prison guard gangs where guards have to do, like... Initiation where they have to like beat up a prisoner to join the prison guard gang.
1: That's fucked
0: that up.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. But I was going to say the other thing that this was was sort of reminding me of in terms of reopening a civil rights case. You know, years and years later, uh, Doug Jones, who just won the U.S. Senate seat that was vacated by Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. in Alabama, in that big upset win over Roy Moore the accused um, pedophile, but, yeah, who, you know, obviously, that's a whole other thing. (laughs) It's it's, it's like a whole other story. Roy Moore, not a good guy. What I was going to say was Doug Jones, in his career as U.S. attorney, reopened the bombing uh, in Birmingham that killed those seven little girls and uh, was able to prosecute, you know, I think there was the one guy that got prosecuted at some point around when it happened, but he he reopened the case and prosecuted, like, the whole gang of people who did it. Wow. You know, and this was in probably the mid to late 90s, so you know, 30 years after it happened. So I know that it can happen, and there are still Nazis that are getting prosecuted up until today, you know, who are in their 90s, so you know, getting justice, it, it sometimes takes a long time, but uh, you know, it's it's always worth it. I think. That's was that what I've it? got. Great.
1: That's what I've got. Cool, cool. It's sad.
2: Yeah, it's definitely sad. It's so messed up. And he was obviously the first of many others. That of came many. Afterwards.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of cases similar to this type of thing.
2: Well, because like, you know, like we've talked about the pol- when the police. Uh, themselves and the people who are supposed to be investigating themselves are implicated in the crimes. you know that's where mysteries tend to crop up a lot of times because you know you don't get the investigation, you don't get the evidence gathering that you would normally because it's it's intentionally bungled <laughs> for the benefit of the the perpetrators,
1: yeah, the author's um has a lot of good points, and he was putting Albert Williams' name up there with, like, Emmett Till and stuff.
2: Well, that's... Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering if you were going to do Emmett Till when you started talking about it. But I think his case wasn't really mysterious, right? I think they pretty much know who... I haven't looked into it, but I've, I think they've prosecuted who killed Emmett Till.
1: Um... You know, maybe that's a good case to do. Maybe we'll look into it, because I don't know as much about... It. I'm... As a black person, I don't like looking into those things. It's very hard for me to... Like, I haven't seen 12 Years a Slave because I'm scared to watch it. I saw The Color Purple when I was really young. Yeah. I don't want to watch Roots. I'm scared to watch Roots. Like, I just... I don't know, man. So, I know that Emmett Till was uh, killed for supposedly whistling at a white women woman, and then a didn't didn't that bitch come back a couple years ago and was like, actually he didn't actually he didn't like even nothing I just said that right on her fucking deathbed, right?
2: So I probably I'm
1: remember. almost positive. Oh man, that that gets me pissed.
2: Okay, I'm gonna go now. Okay, so I'm gonna do the poisoning of Alexander <coughs> Litvinenko, uh, who was a former uh, FSB officer in like the uh, early to mid 90s and the, the FSB is basically like the what the KGB became after the USSR. So it's basically like their version of the FBI, uh, like their domestic okay. security service basically. Okay. And um, just to give a little bit of background and then I'll, I'll kind of tell the story of his of how he actually died. Okay. And and then we'll go through kind of more of the particulars and who did it and stuff like that.
1: Oh, we know who did it.
2: We basically know who did it, but it's again one of these ones where the no real investigation could okay. really happen because it seems like it was state sponsored. Yeah. So we'll 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 kind of get into that. So we that. never okay. Sorry. So we so we right. There's never going to be like a trial or anything. So Alexander Litvinenko was an FSB officer, and you know he bases so I listened to the audiobook of this book called death of a dissident mm-hmm. that was written by a friend of his Alex Goldfarb and his wife uh, Marina Litvinenko.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's obviously very, you know, slanted toward his perspective, but the way that it portrayed him was basically he, he wanted to be a good guy. You know, he thought of himself as like protecting people and like mm-hmm. doing the right thing. And like, he wanted to be a policeman because he wanted to like, you know, do good in the world. And a lot of his career, he was basically like a detective and he would recruit people also to infiltrate like mob, like the mob in in Russia. And that's where he kind of started to get into trouble because what he was finding out was that there was a lot of connections between his superiors in the FSB and these mob figures and like other, you know, oligarchs or governmental, you know, people,
1: people were in cahoots,
2: right? So, you know, he's supposed to be ostensibly fighting crime, right? Finding out, you know, who, uh, if they're working for the mobsters, then we should be exposing them. We should be prosecuting them. We should be arresting them. Like he was very sort of naive and, Mm. A, almost everyone else there was not like that they they were trying to make money by getting in on some of that same stuff and he never was he didn't have much money because he didn't do that you know and again that's the portrayal from you know his friend and his wife but that you know that seems like what it what it was because eventually he and a small other group of you know, like minded individuals in the FSB wanted to actually they got so frustrated, you know, when they they were trying to bring their concerns up the chain of command and they were just kind of getting slapped down, right? And um, eventually they were so fed up they were just gonna do a press conference. And that was when things really went wrong. And that was when he got arrested for the first time. And it was basically Wait, why it was basically a trumped-up charge. They said that he had beaten up a a, um, a person who he was arresting, like, ten years earlier or five years earlier what? or something like that. It was just basically an excuse to shut him up. And uh, eventually a judge, I think, released him. But then there was a second charge. It was basically, like, the same thing, but a different incident. And then there was a th- third arrest. And... He, they got really scared and basically thought you know either they're gonna put him in jail forever or they're gonna kill him and th- this was what Alexander Litvinenko was thinking and his his family and so they basically got out of Russia eventually and and this was in uh, when they left I think it was in the year two thousand so it was r- right after Putin had been elected to the presidency. Yikes. Yeah. And so basically with the help of this guy who wrote the book, Alex Goldfarb, they went from Turkey. It, initially he wanted to try to get them to the U.S., but that didn't really work out, so they ended up going to Britain. And they got asylum in Britain and got in kind of like the witness protection program. And they lived in Britain for six years, and actually on the sixth, the six-year anniversary of them uh coming to Britain on November 1st, 2006, is is when Alexander Litvinenko was actually poisoned. And so I'll, I'll just kind of go through what happened on that day. So, so this was November 1st, 2006. So Alexander Litvinenko meets who he thinks is a potential new business partner and a, a guy who he had known briefly... Back in the nineties, through uh, a mutual friend of theirs, his name's Andre Lugovoy. Basically, he meets him, and they have this meal at a fancy hotel. During that meal, Andre Lugovoy encourages Litvinenko to drink out of this teapot, and that's where we find out actually the poisoning came from. And then he introduces him to uh, a teapot? his teapot. It was it was in the tea. Yeah, he he oh, poured okay. out a, a cup of tea and it was in there. And the way he that um, Litvinenko describes it is that the tea was like already cold, and it it was like n- not very good. But he he drank like three or four sips, basically. So it wasn't even he didn't even drink that much. But we'll we'll kind of get into the poisoning itself in uh, a little bit later and um, how kind of potent it was. So, after meeting with this guy, Andre Lukvoy, and then briefly meeting who he introduces as his friend, Dmitry Kovtun, Litvinenko then has a sushi lunch with another acquaintance called Mario Scaramella, who was a nuclear expert and an Italian officer, who uh, basically they were exchanging incriminating information about the Kremlin with each other, uh, Scaramella and Litvinenko. And then mm. uh, Litvinenko starts to feel kind of strangely ill, doesn't really know why. For a few days, they just think he's kind of, maybe just kind of sick.
1: Yeah.
2: But eventually, he goes to the hospital. He keeps getting sicker and sicker. Uh, he has diarrhea. He's vomiting. Eventually, he can't wow. walk. <gasps> His condition just continues to worsen over the next couple of weeks weeks and doctors are just like I do not know what's going on they they really are like pretty stumped and it, eventually they think that he has what's called thallium poisoning but that turns out to be incorrect it turns out after they sample some of his blood and urine and, and I think they actually found this out like on the day that he died, which was November 22nd, that it was um, polonium-210, which is a critical component of early nuclear bombs. What? And it was actually uh, – was kind of interesting because the way they described it was they were looking at this um, signature from a test that they were doing. And they were really just, like, couldn't figure out what was going on. And th- there was a big spike on, at one particular point on the signal. And an old scientist happened to overhear their conversation. And he was like, oh, that sounds like uh, alpha radiation. Like, he knew about it because he had worked on those early nuclear bombs. And so he he was able to kind of tell them, oh, that sounds like polonium-210. And they find out that, that that is what it was. So polonium-210 is extremely dangerous. A tiny, tiny amount can kill you. Like a speck of it, Whoa. if you ingest it, can can um, kill you. And uh, basically, it, it doesn't create what's called gamma radiation, which is the main thing that, like, if you have a Geiger counter, that's what a Geiger counter is trying to detect is gamma radiation. Okay, I'll cut that out. <laughs> so, so, gamma radiation
1: <laughs> to get
2: to get back to my explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: back. I know. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> it, it gamma radiation is also really harmful. It's a type of ionizing radiation that basically like hurts. Cells, but um, this other type of of damaging radiation called alpha radiation is what polonium two ten gives off. And what's special about that is it's not going to set off any detectors. It doesn't set off a metal detector Whoa. or bomb detectors. What? And the the alpha radiation it, it doesn't penetrate surfaces the way gamma radiation does. So that's why they did radiation. They did two radiation tests on, uh, on uh, Litvinenko. And they didn't find anything. And they didn't find anything. So that's why, you know, initially when they were like, oh, maybe it's this radioactive substance, they were like, no, we tested for radiation, and we looked at that. But then this, this one doctor who was like a real expert in, in these kind of things that was assisting them was like, mm, but it could be this other type of radiation that doesn't actually penetrate the skin. And would only be harmful if you actually, well, it's still harmful, but only like lethal if you actually like ingested it. And that's what they, they figured out eventually that it, that it was. So basically, it also had never been used as a poison before. So that's, that was another reason that they think that they went with it because it was just so baffling and, and, uh, gave, you know, Lugovoy and Kovtun time to get out, you know, back to Russia Where, by the way, Andrei Lugovoy is now a member of parliament and Dmitry Kovtun is a businessman.
1: Oh, God. So,
2: again, like, nothing actually ever happened to those two guys. Talk
1: about baggage.
2: We pretty much know that it was them, you know, allegedly, because of the radioactive signatures that they found everywhere these guys were. (laughs) So, clearly, they had the polonium 210 with them (laughs) because they left a trail. But they're never going to go on trial or anything. So they determined that it was in the tea because they actually found it um, in the hotel when they were, like, looking into all of this. And when they did, you know, all of the kind of background checking and everything, they found there were three, like, distinct polonium trails that were laid down at three different times. And this is where they started to be able to make kind of a timeline of of where things happened. And like I said, they were all linked very strongly to Andrei Lugovoy and Dmitry Kovtun. They indicated that there were two possible prior assassination attempts. So they basically think that they tried this before or they were doing kind of like practice runs before to, to make sure that they could actually do this. That's
1: disturbing.
2: I know. Um, The first of those was on October 16th of 2006. And a trail was found in all the places that uh, Lugovoy and Kovtun were.
1: How do you find a trail of radiation?
2: They have special detectors for the alpha radiation. So so. do they
1: just like walk around where these guys were?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. When they were describing it in the book, they made it sound like there was a specialized unit within the um, I think it must have probably been the terrorism unit of the Metropolitan Police in London because they were the ones who were kind of like leading the investigation that specialized in finding radiation that's kind of cool cool so so yeah basically that would be your job to find out all the specialized ways I guess that you can just like go into I mean London's a fucking enormous city um, and you know say but they also found it in and I'll I'll get into the specifics of this a little bit. They found it in like a tons of different places. So on this October sixteenth trip, though, they did slip it into Litvinenko's tea. So they basically tried the exact same thing that eventually worked, but Litvinenko didn't drink the tea that time, so he he didn't get poisoned. So they Lugovoy and Kovtun also really apparently didn't realize what exactly they were handling. In the polonium 210, they they clearly did not realize that it was highly dangerous and extremely potent poison. Because at one point, it seems that one of their containers actually like broke. And they cleaned it up just with a towel. With their bare hands. And just uh, poured the rest of it down the toilet. Oh. Which they did another couple of other times, and also into a sink. Oh, oh my God! Yeah. This is stuff that uh, Litvinenko's father described as a mini-atomic bomb, because it's so highly radioactive.
1: That's... Oh, my God. And
2: they were just throwing this shit around. So, like, clearly, they didn't know, you know, exactly what they were dealing with. But presumably, the people who gave it to them did. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy to think about yeah so uh, even a small amount of this like even a gram that's scary can kill like masses of people Whoa. so it, it's a really dangerous of sub- I mean I know I keep repeating this but it's like no, but still, it's like,
1: like it's it, kind of mind blowing
2: insane that that they chose to use this to kill this one person I, I, I don't understand what was going through the minds of these people <laughs> uh, whoever ordered this So the second attempt was on October 25th. So basically, you know, they were trying this like every week, a new attempt, right? Uh, these guys also seem like fucking idiots, by the way. Um,
1: shit is dark.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So again, Lugavoy and Kovtun left a radioactive trail. So could see exactly where they went. Um, they did not actually attempt to administer the poison on, on the second attempt. Possibly because they knew they were being filmed. So like where they were meeting him, there were a lot of cameras, which was not the case for the third attempt, which was on November 1st at the Millennium Hotel in Grosvenor Square. Now, the Millennium Hotel does have a lot of cameras. It had 41 cameras working that day, but there were no cameras in the bar. In the Pine Bar, which oh, okay. which is where they ended up meeting, and presumably Lugovoy and Kofetin would have known that they were kind of casing out the place. So Lugovoy that time had come to London with his family under the guise of seeing a CSKA Moscow match, was which is a, a a soccer club. They they, they were there playing a, a match that day, and he actually had his like two daughters and his little son. Uh-huh. With him, and after the poisoning happened, he actually introduced his little son to Litvinenko. Oh, my God. How's that for chilling? Just like, hey, here's my little son. Shake the hand of the guy that I just... Which, again, he clearly must not have known that it was highly radioactive. Because he put his son in contact with the person. Yeah, he probably you know, I he I had no idea. Yeah, again, it, it, I don't... Yeah, it's, I, I hope not. I hope he didn't know. And Litvinenko and uh, Lugovoy had been meeting up ostensibly to uh, talk about working together, advising some Western firms, I think, on like security matters. There was no trail that Litvinenko left going to the meeting. So we know that it was at the meeting that he was poisoned because afterwards we find the trail that Litvinenko starts to make from that point on. Okay, okay. So that's how we know definitively that the polonium-210 was introduced into Litvinenko's body at the Pine Bar Hotel uh, in the uh, Millennium Hotel. um, Damn. After he had eaten the lunch with Mario Scaramella, So there was so much radiation within Litvinenko's body after the poisoning that when he rode in a friend's car... Back to his hotel, that car was rendered inoperable. It was totaled. It could it could not be used anymore because Litvinenko had been riding in it right after having been poisoned with polonium two ten. Wow. So when Litvinenko's father again describes it as, uh, you know, when he was talking to the press after Lit- Alexander Litvinenko died, described it as a mini atomic bomb. <laughs> you can kind of see where he's coming from. You know, it's, Did
1: anybody, has anybody else been affected by it around there, him?
2: There were definitely people who were affected by it around him, his wife, especially because she, before they, they, You know, knew before they even took him to the hospital when he was just at home and they thought he was sick. She was cleaning up his vomit and other things, so she actually it ended up you know ingesting some polonium two hundred and ten as well. Thankfully, their son mainly stayed away, so his level of exposure was a lot less, and everyone else's was a lot less because it was kind of secondary, tertiary, quaternary, etc. But. Litvinenko's wife, you know, probably had some ill Ooh, health effects. Crap. And and probably Lugavoy and Kovtun did as well, I'd imagine, because yeah. they, they were exposed quite heavily, you know, so <coughs> I'm sure the it's not great. wasn't It wasn't good for them, I'm sure. Traces were eventually found on 221 flights on British Airways. What? So b- basically the airplanes that Lugavoy and Kovtun had taken... Um, were used on a further 221 flights, in 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 which they they found exposure to
1: that shit is dang- that's so scary. Yeah,
2: in in which they found exposure to as many as 33,000 passengers.
1: Wow.
2: So yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, and like I said, it, Litvinenko was killed on the sixth uh, anniversary of his arrival in in Britain. So the British did an investigation, and, and as part of that, they attempted to interrogate five Russians who they believed were involved, but obviously got no um, cooperation from the Kremlin or, or any of the Russian authorities. They also tried to extradite Andrei Lugovoy, but the Russian Prosecutor General Yuri Chayka, who would be basically the equivalent to our Attorney General, uh, said that it was unconstitutional for Russia To extradite any citizen. Uh, The British disputed that. But. They weren't going to obviously extradite him. That was never going to happen. And like I said. He is now a member of parliament in Russia. Jeez. So. uh, A a different inquiry was concluded in January 2016. In Britain. So pretty recently. Led by uh, Sir Robert Owen. And that found that Lugovoy and Kovtun were responsible for Litvinenko's death. And that it was very likely that they were directed by the FSB with the, at least, acquiescence of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, Lugovoy ended up with a seat in the Russian parliament. Kovtun is now a businessman. So this kind of leaves us with, you know, the question of why. Why did this Why did they go to such extraordinary means to kill this man in such a horrific and agonizing way. I mean, he basically died of radiation exposure from the inside out. But it kind of
1: sounds like they didn't know.
2: Well, the people who ordered it would certainly have known what they were doing. Kovtun and Lugovoy seem like useful idiots. So he was—he
1: was just this investigator who didn't want to be involved with the mob.
2: Yes, but he he was always going against the grain since he started at the FSB. You know, he he was trying to expose these connections between high-placed FSB officials, other oh, government okay. officials and the mafia, basically trying to expose what had developed under Putin which was a, a basically a mafia state where there's no real division between the organized crime uh, organizations and governmental organizations and just like rich, powerful people, they're all just in cahoots together, and that's what he was kind of trying to expose. So it, it was it was uh, fundamental to what was developing in the in the Russian system. The proximate cause of it may have been. Excuse me, that he was about to give testimony in a Spanish case, which alleged uh, involvement of the Russian mob in in Spain, including mobsters who would be connected to Putin. Mm. So he would basically be giving testimony against Vladimir Putin in a sense. So, that that may have been kind of the impetus to do it then.
1: Have they poisoned anybody else like that? That we, like, know of?
2: I don't think so. Not in that particular way. it
1: truly is, like, weird. Like, why?
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that they maybe knew that the trail would be left. Because they knew... Presumably that it wouldn't give off gamma radiation, which would have been a huge red flag, right? The, they, w- they wouldn't have been able to carry it out with a radioactive poison that gave off gamma radiation. Um, knowing that it gave off alpha radiation that wouldn't penetrate sub, you know, surfaces um, or the human body means they were pretty sophisticated, I think. But they don't seem to have known that it would leave a trail, like it did. So, you know, I think that's why they haven't used it since then. But it it probably seemed like a pretty great... Other than the fact, again, that it's just so <laughs> highly, highly dangerous. I, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Can't, I can't make sense of that part of it.
1: Wow, that was good.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, the, and um, I guess I, I'll just uh, finish up here... By reading a little quote from a an article, rather, that was printed in the Daily Mail on November 25th of 2006, so a few days after uh, Litvinenko's death, that was attributed to him, that he basically wrote as, as like, his deathbed, you know, testament. Um, and it's titled, Why I Believe Putin Wanted Me Dead. Wow. Uh, So, this is a a quote from that piece by Alexander uh, Litvinenko. This may be the time to say one or two things to the person responsible for my present condition. You may succeed in silencing me, but that silence comes at a price. You have shown yourself to be as barbaric and as ruthless as your most hostile critics have claimed. You have shown yourself to have no respect for life, liberty, or any civilized value. You have shown yourself to be unworthy of your office, to be unworthy of the trust of civilized men and women. You may succeed in silencing one man, but the howl of protest from around the world will reverberate, Mr. Putin, in your ears for the rest of your life. May God forgive you for what you have done, not only to me, but to beloved Russia and its people. Damn. So pretty pretty heavy stuff. Um, but... You know, I I think it, to me, helps to underscore also that the the people in a country and the government that run its country often are very different and sometimes are at odds with one another. And, you know, Alexander Levineko is not a perfect person, right? He would, you know, readily admit he did things in the FSB that were, not great. He went along with some stuff that was not good. But essentially he wanted his country to be a country in which people had their rights respected and didn't you know arbitrarily get killed or harassed or yeah. you know where where essentially the government was trying to do the right thing by its people, which is what almost everyone wants in the world. And you know we we can't lump those people in when they happen to live in a country that doesn't respect those values so you know i just really appreciate him when he says you know what you've done to you know beloved russia and its people we have to remember that it's like something that putin and his regime are doing to the people of russia not something that russia is doing itself And I think that, that helps to build that kind of sense of empathy.
1: Very nice. I mean. Yeah. It's pretty fucking horrible.
2: Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like.
1: That was like, that was. That was, that was deep. Yeah. Yeah. Yours was deep. I think we both (laughs) did well this
2: week. Yes. Good. (laughs) Um, so should we do some weird shit in the news?
1: Weird shit. Weird, In the weird, news. Weird,
2: weird shit. What? 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 I wanna what, go first. What? Okay.
1: So, um, mine has to do with mermaids. Okay. <laughs> um.
2: Mermaids are
1: real. So, m- this is from NPR. And the title is Mermaids and Mermen of Brazil Refuse to be Tamed. (laughs) So, members of a small but growing shoal of mermaids and mermen in Brazil are getting a little worried and irate. Until now, they've been able to slip happily into their brightly colored tails and glide away through the water without much attention from the outside world beyond the odd chuckle or ripple of a prose. Now mermaiding or serismo, or serai, i'm not sure as it's known in Br- brazil is growing more popular thanks to partly to a smash hit tv soap opera and the theme song that accompanied it so basically the their safety agencies telling uh them that like swimming around dressed up as this like mermaid they'll, they'll like drown like it it Okay, so it says the spread of the hobby is attracting warnings from safety agencies who believe that swimming around dressed as glamorous sea creature from ancient mythology can involve the real and present danger of drowning. But what I don't get is that isn't that with everybody, like you swim at your own risk, right?
2: Well, yeah, but I think if you're wearing the fucking, you know, mermaid legs, oh, it like impedes your ability to. I think that's what they're saying.
1: So there's this woman named Mireya. It's probably like Mirella, Mirella. Just, uh, just Faraz.
2: say it. Just say it like an American person. Mirella, you don't have to You don't have to try to sound like you're from there. I in know, school. but like,
1: <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be said. Sure. Whatever. Mirella Faraz, 34, says she is Brazil where I was like really woman says so she is Brazil's first professional mermaid and a pioneer of the pastime hey, in her country.
2: Live your dream live your truth. make other people bend to your conception of reality.
1: Don't drown
2: <laughs> That's like my wizard friend Devon. He wanted to be a wizard, a professional wizard <laughs> he went for it. But, it's called chaos magic.
1: Yeah. She, uh, yeah, she says, she says, uh, she accuses a recently launched campaign that highlights the risks of mermaiding of spreading falsehoods and demonizing the mermaid's skin. Quote, <clears throat> they also say that with the tail, you can't float. It's a lie. It is buoyant. Uh, end quote.
2: Good points. Good points. Okay, standing up for mermaid rights, I can appreciate that. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like, um... what was it called? Uh, when people planking.
1: Planking. Now, remember, it's, now it's mermaiding.
2: Remember how? Yeah, but planking was like dangerous because like people were like yeah. planking in like really stupid places. Like, yeah. You know, if you I'm taking any fans. Cars.
1: You
2: know, right. Trying to be, like, Teen Wolf.
1: But, yep, that's my weird shit
2: in the news. Yeah. Cool. Mermaids. Your turn. Gotta love
1: them. Mermaid. So, right. Mermaid's mermaid.
2: Mine comes from CBS News, and the title is uh, Plane Lands on California Highway Median, No, <gasps> no Injuries Reported. Oh, good. So It has a happy ending, this story. That's so
1: so bizarre. Can you imagine being a car on the highway?
2: I cannot. Miraculously.
1: Is that a a plane?
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A single-seater Cessna, I think it was, landed on the median of a northern California highway. No injuries reported. Um, The pilot walked away and was not hurt, there were no injuries on the ground, and the plane was removed from the freeway and all lanes were quickly reopened. So basically what it Casual. sounds yeah, Casual. What, it, what it sounds like is this plane basically came down, landed, stopped for a minute, they carted it off to the side, kept going. <laughs> no more trouble than an errant cow. What? On a country road.
0: <laughs>
2: to make a weird wow. analogy. <laughs> wow. And there Does was that a happen. A, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there was also no damage to the single engine. It was actually a Piper a PA forty six plane. And uh photos from the scene showed the plane perpendicular to the highway lanes. This was about seventy five miles south of San Francisco. So Man, there's a picture of the of the plane.
1: It's small.
2: Yeah, it's it's quite a small plane, but the median is also quite a small area. Yeah. So
1: That's the first I was like,
2: "What?" I like, kind of, I mean, I'm pretty plane? My first thought was, "Oh, is this a drug smuggler?"
1: Oh. But
2: I assume they would have mentioned that he got arrested if it were.
1: Yeah. And,
2: and then my second thought was, "Oh, that's, very, that's really impressive."
1: I know and then that's what I was thinking. my
2: third thought What? Oh, that sounds like fun.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um.
2: (laughs) So, that's my weird.
1: No, that sounds. I can't talk. Yeah. Sounds incredibly terrifying.
2: That sounds like so crazy. It's. It's crazy. Oh, God. Um, so. We will get our shit together.
1: Our shit to, is together.
2: Well, I know, but to have a Patreon page. Yeah,
1: we are trying to put up on Patreon.
2: We need to we make not, a video of ourselves. Yeah. We're not filmmakers.
1: We're not. We're really not. But
2: I have an iPhone.
1: That's so all you need. So I feel
2: like Apple has told me I'm a filmmaker. You know what? Wasn't you, that in a commercial? You can
1: be whatever you want to be.
2: With an iPhone. With
1: an iPhone, you can be whatever you want to be. Right.
2: We're not right. plugging
1: the iPhone. It's I actually,
2: not an endorsement. I actually
1: don't have an iPhone. I but if money for an iPhone. But
2: if anyone works for Apple and they want to give us money, we will shill so hard. <laughs> yeah. We 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 will be shills. I'll buy an
1: iPhone with money. <laughs>
2: yeah, um, I actually
1: really like my phone. Yeah. If I shake it, the flashlight turns on. <laughs> it's really amusing.
2: Always shaking Android. I have
1: a fingerprint thingy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. It's pretty advanced.
2: Is this show and tell? Is that what's happening yes. right now?
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's a nice camera.
2: That's
1: good. It's an okay. Now the camera's not that great. I thought it would be great, but it's like okay. Mm-hmm. It's better than my old one. Why mm-hmm. are we talking I'm about
2: cut out all of this?
1: <laughs> okay, well, I want to go to bed. <laughs> okay, wait. We have to do like an outro. Okay, what were we? Huh? What? What? Oh. So, okay. Impressive.
2: Do we have anything else to
1: say? <laughs> things in the news. Patreon. Patreon! Oh,
2: and, um, oh, I wanted to, like, say with the Patreon, we're thinking about doing a thing where, like, if you give a certain amount, then we'll do, like, an extra segment. More weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news, extra edition. Whatever, you know. So we should
1: do celebrity gossip. Oh, we
2: could do celebrity gossip too. No, <laughs> no,
1: no. I don't want that at all.
2: <laughs> I don't know any. I don't know I any. I know some se- good.
1: I know some like right now. Uh, Michael Ch- B. Ch- Jordan, Ch-
2: Chloe Kardashian's pregnant, right?
1: So is her sister.
2: And right, they're both. Pregnant, so.
1: Um Michael B. Jordan what about Michael and B. Lupita nyong'o They had a bet. Michael B. Jordan lost. Now he's on now he's on call for push ups. So oh, yeah, Lupita I took Nyongo's like push ups, he right. has to do push ups.
2: Yeah, but Michael B. Jordan's one of those guys who probably does like a hundred push ups a day already. <laughs> he's like trying yeah. to stay cut for those basketball movies.
1: Mm, he can stay cut. <laughs>
2: he's a good he's like a really good basketball player. He's
1: like a really good looking person.
2: Yeah. I also like that he he was like, my name's also Michael Jordan. I also play basketball, but I don't want to be like people to say like Michael Jordan. Oh, not the best player of all time. The other Michael Jordan. So he just became Michael B Jordan.
1: It's and that was catchy. like why
2: that was like why he did that.
1: It's catchy. His it dad's is catchy. name is Michael A J- Jordan. Oh, Isn't I didn't that know funny? That.
2: <laughs> is his son gonna be Michael C Jordan? I don't
1: know. <laughs> because I hope cool. so.
2: Okay, <laughs> you we're done. You're done. Oh,
1: we have to do, like, a bye. Okay. Wait, do,
2: are we going to... Do we have a thing yet? We're never going to come up with a thing.
1: Ugh, we'll never come up with a thing. Okay, whatever. Bye. Good job of you! Stop. Bye!